Lord, thank you so much. We just thank you. We thank you that you're joined to us. Thank you for that reality every day, 24-7. You in us and we in you. It never gets old to remember that you are actually inside of us. Jesus of Nazareth, same Christ, this same Jesus inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you for this rest, Lord, that we enter this rest. In this realm of grace, all has been done. In this realm of grace, all has been done. And now we just receive and we live by another. We receive and live by another. For apart from you, we can do nothing. You are the true vine. We are the mere branches where life flows from the true vine into the branches. We fellowship now in this reality, Lord. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for this rest. As we simply abide, we bear much fruit because it's you living your own life through our weakness, through our needs, through our trouble and tribulations. We boast in our weaknesses. We boast in our need of you. We boast in our trials. We boast in our troubles. We boast in all these things that cause us to draw upon you our life. It's the wisdom of God. But we have this treasure in weak earthen vessels that the excellency of the power manifested through our bodies is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. What a rest. In this realm of grace, all has been done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In you, we walked through that tomb into another world. We came out of the grave through you, Lord, into another world where law has no jurisdiction, where grace is in the sky. Thank you for this awesome reality. Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would help us sharpen our minds this morning to see and hear heavenly realities like a cool wind. Help us to disengage from the way this world thinks and sees things and help us to engage the mind of God. For we have, we have the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ through the Spirit. So different, so different. For your ways are so different from our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways different from our ways. Help us, Lord, to engage and hear the mind of God and rest. Thank you, Lord, for the reality. For all creation speaks of Christ. Every wind that blows, every moon that shines, every sun that rises, every bird that flies, every seed that's planted, all speaks of the Son, the Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. 
Christ, the all in all. Thank you, Lord. So big, so huge, so beyond our minds to be able to comprehend without the Spirit. But with the Spirit, we can see these things and know these things. For the Spirit of God has been given to show us the things that have been freely given to us in Christ. Freely. Freely. Thank you, Lord. May your people rest today in a great way. Let there be rest. Thank you. Do lead us beside still waters. Green pastures. Thank you, Lord. All the clamor of our minds. Peace. Be still. Jesus is here. And you, Lord, are all we need. Fear not. The Master is here. Inside of us. And we inside of him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Go, go home now. <laughs> that was good work. Amen. Hallelujah. For a minute there, I said, I'm in another place. I better end this. Or... <laughs> God is so good. Oh, man. A couple of weeks ago when I was, I was sharing about, uh, you know, a cross-centered gospel versus a Christ-centered gospel, and we talked about um, how um, sometimes I think the gospel is presented in a way where the focus is on the cross, and not on Jesus himself, on Christ himself. And we talked about that, you know, and we mentioned about how we've heard the term systematic theology and, and how I think a better term than systematic theology would be concentric theology because systematic theology is just a term that men use to organize their thoughts in the study of God, theology meaning the study of God. So organize it in systems, and you have outlines that say, you know, let's let's discuss heaven, let's discuss hell, let's discuss grace, faith, systematic theology. But the scripture's not written like a systematic theologian. It's not written like that at all. In fact, it's written in stories, history, and hidden in the stories and in the history and in the events is a revelation of Christ. Christ himself. Paul told Timothy, he said this, all scripture, the end of all scripture is a revelation of Jesus and faith in him. All scripture leads to this revelation of the Christ and faith in him because that's life. That brings forgiveness. That brings righteousness. That brings peace. That brings all that we need is a revelation of him and faith in him. I read something on the internet the other day where this, this, uh, you, you probably heard of this Ministry has been around for years. The Bill Gothard ministry, uh, it was really big when I was back in college, back in the 70s. Bill Gothard. And he's got a lot of good things, but I do not recommend it. I don't recommend it. Um, he, he is very uh, big on just principles and 
I don't know, just, he said, one of the things he said was um, that the whole theme of the Bible, he said the entire theme of the Bible is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's not the whole theme of the Bible. The whole theme of the Bible is what I just said earlier, what Paul said. Paul said the whole theme of the Bible is a revelation of the Christ and faith in him. Because if we could love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, then Jesus did not have to come. That's not the theme of the Bible. That shows us our lost state, that we can't love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. So the theme of the Bible is Christ himself and, and faith in him. And in fact, the true, um, and he, you know, and, and they, quote, they quote that verse all the time, you know, Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. But they forget that he was asked that question by Pharisees in the context of asking him, what is the greatest commandment under the law? And so Jesus rightly said, of course, the greatest commandment under the law is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you can do this, welcome to heaven. That's why it's the greatest commandment of the law, because that's what the law commands, that you live the perfect life of loving God with all your being and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. That is all the law and the prophets, and that was a correct answer. But that's not the greatest commandment under the covenant of grace. That's, if that's the greatest commandment under the covenant of law, and the scripture says you're not under law, but under grace, then grace has a great commandment too. And it's not that one. The greatest commandment under the covenant of grace is what Paul has said all through his letters, and it's this. That you believe that God loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all his strength. And he loves your neighbor just like he loves you. Believe that he loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his and he loves your neighbor just like he loves you, as exhibited in that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whosoever believes on him shall receive forgiveness and eternal life. That's the greatest commandment. Not that we first loved him. That's old covenant. That's the greatest commandment. Old covenant, love him. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. That's new covenant. Old covenant is to love God. New covenant is God loved me first. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love God, of course, because now the scripture says the Holy Spirit is now poured out into our new hearts, no longer wicked hearts, in our new hearts, in this new creation, and we find the love of God, loving God. Only God can love God. So with the love of God poured out in our hearts, we find a flow of love back to him and worship back to him, And it's totally pure because it's in Christ. It's in him. And so as we go from faith to faith and from glory to glory, we find that we fulfill the law. We who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, we fulfill what the law is looking for all along in that we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's not us doing it and not flesh that can take credit for it, but it's life in him that makes it happen. Isn't that cool? So it's just one of those things. Next time you hear someone say, yeah, but the greatest commandment is to love God. And you ought to ask them, uh, now, which covenant are we talking about? What do you mean, which covenant? Well, there's there's two covenants here. 
you know, that's, that's correct. That's the greatest commandment under the covenant of law. But what do you think the greatest covenant is under grace? And it gets people thinking because it's not about us doing. It's about what he did. If it's about what he did, then our response is to believe it or not believe it. Great is the mystery of godliness for he was manifested. He was vindicated in resurrection. He was seen by the messengers. He was proclaimed in the world. He was believed on in the world. He was taken up into glory. Great is the mystery of godliness. It's not a matter of us doing, but a matter of us believing in what he did. So Christ's the central focus is Jesus himself. It's not, we talked about how systematic theology can sometimes, if it's organized in an outline form, you miss Jesus himself as being the center because he becomes just another topic on the outline. But if you, if you think in terms of concentric theology, where we talked about like the circles on a tree, circles within circles. Let's see if I can do it with my left hand. Circles within circles, concentric theology. All these circles have the same common center, which is what concentric means. They have circles that have the same center. Concentric, that center is Christ. Not anything that was made, the scripture says, was made without him. John, the Gospel of John says that nothing, was, nothing that came into being, nothing, nothing came into being except through him. The Father did all things through the Son and for the Son. He is the heir of all things. He is the one who was before and who will be forever. The Alpha and the Omega, all through the Christ, all through the Son. And in this reality, we find our own identity and our own place of rest. So in this, we talked about that, you know, we talked about how... um, when you focus on a cross-centered gospel instead of a Jesus-centered gospel, then it invariably moves to a works mentality of trying to put flesh to death and trying to do things to be a better Christian. Uh, the cross, using the cross as the means by which I don't sin and I walk in righteousness. Um, but that's not the scripture. The scripture doesn't teach that the cross or death. Uh, is a means by which you manifest Christ. Um, the scripture teaches that death took place once. And as a reality, having happened and over, for Christ died once, never to die again, now we live in life, in union with him who is raised from the dead. So in this new reality, the scripture says, Paul says that it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that puts to death the deeds of the body. So our focus is not on the cross. Jesus said, remember the cross, but we daily partake of the life. The scripture says, if we were reconciled by his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? See? So if you have a cross-centered gospel, you kind of forget what happened after the cross. If the focus is on the death, you don't focus on what happened after. And what happened after is all important also. It's all important. But like we talked before, without the cross, all of what Jesus is and who he is and what he did would not help us. He lived the perfect life and all those things would not help us if he had not died in our place. So it's all important. But we don't focus on just the cross. We focus on himself, on him who died. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but the cross. No. Jesus, the Christ, and him crucified. Because that's the all-important act 
of obedience by the Christ that linked us to God, that brought us to him. And then he explains the awesome reality of resurrection and new creation in Galatians, that this is all that matters, a new creation joined to him. He is our life. You have a new heart now. Our mind is being renewed to this new, real, new reality that you don't have an evil heart anymore. You have a new heart. God has quarantined the power of sin in our mortal bodies, in our members, and that is not the real you. And our mind is being renewed to this new reality so that the spirit of life can simply manifest and he can be who we really are in this rest. It's awesome. So, so we talk about that. And, and, uh, and what I want to share a few thoughts about this morning is kind of the same vein of thought. And um, this whole way of God, of, of, um, of living by another life, it's so simple. I'm learning. I'm learning so much about how simple it is to live by Jesus, Jesus himself. What do we see modeled in the Gospels over and over again? Whatever the need, whatever the problem, whatever the issue, they just said, go get the master. Whatever the issue, they just, the master is here. He will take care of it, the master. I want to, it's, it's, God has made this so simple. He has joined his own son to us, we to him. We've been called into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. And what we are being brought to by the Spirit of God is a growing, growing awareness of a sense of deep, deep dependency on him who lives within. You you and I would be surprised to learn how much we do from our own energy and not his. Our thinking, our speaking, our doing, it's amazing how much comes from the the human natural energy mixed in there with Christ as we lean to him in some ways and going here and there But I'm telling you where the Spirit's taken us, and it's awesome. He's taken us to a place where it is a complete dependence on the Christ within. And that is life because it's not, there's no, there's no, there's no condemnation in that because it's, you're, you're complete in Him. He is all that you need to be, that I need to be. He is righteousness. He is sanctification. He is all these things to me. And as I see that He, as He said that we can do nothing without him. It's awesome. I mean, this is, it's so simple. Uh, theologians would, would look at this as being too simplistic. Um, this is what Paul meant when he said, I'm not ashamed of this simplicity. Because he is, is more than able to meet whatever need I have. Every need I have, every trouble, every challenge, everything, is all that is, is an invitation to let him walk in you. It turns everything on its head. That's why Paul said, oh my God, God showed me this thorn in my flesh that I begged God to take away from me. God revealed to me that, no, Paul, listen, in your weakness, my power is made perfect through you. In your dependence on me, 
you will experience the power of Christ resting upon you and flowing through you. Paul, every need, every trouble, every necessity is an invitation to let me live through you. Isn't that awesome? So Paul, when he got this revelation, Paul goes, oh my God, bring it on. I will boast in my weaknesses. I mean, we can get to that place. It's not even a place that's that difficult to get to. I mean, it's like James, James says, count it all joy when we, brought, when we are fall into various tribulations and trouble. Call it, count it all joy. Why, James? Because the way of God is not to require you to do it. The battle is the Lord's and not your battle. And when we rest in Him, He is manifested through us. See, it's our independent, the the realm of law, the realm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an independent realm. It's a realm of independence. It's a realm of of, uh, me using my energies to do things. But the realm of the tree of life, the realm of grace, is a complete, it's a child on his lap. David said, I will be like a child on your lap. I will look to you, Papa, Abba. It is a complete dependence on another. The Son of God said, I can do nothing of myself. But my Father in me, He does all the works. He speaks all the words. As I live by my Father, so shall you live by me. It is a message to the poor in spirit, for they shall see this. It is the message to the weak. It's a message to the, to the humble. The proud don't see it. The ones who want to do their own don't see it. The self-made man doesn't see it. But those who would humble themselves, those who are broken, those who are in prison, they will see it and be glad. Because I can't do it, they say. And he says, I will. Where is the lad? Where is the child? Take me to her. Lord, don't you care? We perish in this storm. Why did you fear? Peace. Lord, there's not enough food to feed these multitudes. Bring it to me. These are not stories that we're supposed to just read and, and, and you know pine away about, like, oh, wish I would have lived in those days. No. They're recorded for us now. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants us to live in such a dependency on Him, a focus on Him. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn what I'm joined up to. Learn my, yo- my union with my Father. Learn of me, for I am meek and I'm lowly of heart. I receive, I'm a good receiver, Jesus was saying. I receive from my Father. I receive, I can do nothing without my Father. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you shall find rest for your souls, because it is me. For I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in this body I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in me. To live is Christ. See, Paul, he was just trying to bring us to this place of incredible rest. Revelation of union. That fellowship is never broken. No matter what sin you've committed. No matter what weakness you have. No matter what problem you have. In this work of Christ, there is constant openness and union and fellowship with the Father. That we might live by him and live in Him. Total dependency. Total dependency. Fear not. Come unto me. Come boldly to the throne of grace because He's done it. That's why this whole thing about in the church today that's widespread, this teaching, that when you sin as a Christian, you're out of fellowship with God, is from the pit of hell. 
It's from the pit of hell because it keeps the body of Christ from coming boldly to live by Him. It's, it's, it's genius on the part of the enemy because that's the one thing he does not want you to see is that nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing in this covenant can separate you from union with him. For you've already passed through death and into life. Who shall bring thee charge to God's elect? For Christ has died and Christ has risen again. See? Clearly hear the word go forth. He who has the Spirit, listen what the word of the Spirit is saying. There is no break in fellowship. You've been called into a fellowship of the Father and the Son that is sealed. And in that reality, the blood of Christ, the one act of Christ, cleanses us from all sin that we could ever think that would keep us from that fellowship. It's awesome. It's awesome. So we drop this religious thinking that somehow when I sin by my performance, I'm out of fellowship with him, which is so bogus. It's like the emperor who has no clothes story. When you finally hear it and see it, you go like, oh my gosh. You know the story about the emperor who has no clothes. It was, you know, the emperor, they, these tailors came to the king and the, the emperor and, and imagined that we, we can make this, this uh, fabric, this beautiful fabric, but only the wise can see it. And the king says, well... Okay, and, uh, and they said, it's very expensive, but we want to give it to you, and, and um, there's a big parade coming up, so we thought we would make you this awesome royal robe, and, and, but, uh, but only the wise can see this, but it's awesome. And so the king said, okay, and so they started doing their motions with their hands like they were making this thing, and the king said, well, yeah, it's, it is very beautiful. And looking at his, his soldiers, all his yes men around him going, yes, it is, king, it's very, nobody wanted to appear unwise. And so the king puts on this robe, this invisible robe, as the tailors, you know, did all this. And they were like in the, in the kingdom known as, oh, these are the ones who made the king's robe. Don't you see it? I, I, the word is only the wise can see it. And the word spread throughout the community and only the, the wise can see it. And they're coming down the parade route. And here's the king in his underwear, you know. <laughs> and all the crowd is going, I must be stupid. I can't see it. <laughs> Everybody's going like, I must be stupid. I can't see it. My neighbor sees it. Everybody sees it but me. And one little child, a child, cries out and says, The king has no clothes on. And it rippled out through the crowd. Yes, it's true. There's no clothes. And the king was like, covered himself up in shame and had the tailors killed, I guess. I don't know. But but that's what this this doctrine of, of... of losing fellowship with God when you sin is like that. When you see it and you start speaking to others about how there's no break. How can there be a break in fellowship when the basis for my fellowship is his death? After he purged us from our sin, he sat down on the right hand of God. And so in this new union and fellowship with him... We grow in this awareness of of dependency, 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 dependency. This is so exciting because you, you, there's no limit. You know that song, there's an old uh, hymn that says, I need thee every hour, I need thee, O Lord. That's the wrong tune, but remember that? I need thee every hour. That's, they saw it, they saw it. I need thee every hour. It's every, every second, actually. And this is what's cool about this, this, uh, Dependency, this, this posture, like Russ says, love way Russ says, the posture we take in this covenant, the posture of meekness and lowliness, the posture we take of receiving. What's cool about it is that it is a refreshing 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's a refreshing. The burden is off your shoulders. You don't have to fix people all around you. You don't have to fix yourself. We can't fix ourselves. The power of sin and these bodies is going to be there till you breathe your last. But the power of the Spirit in you is more than willing and more than able to short-circuit the power of sin. Resurrection life is greater than sin in our bodies. Far greater. Far greater to where the body even acts drunk sometimes on the day of Pentecost because the Spirit is so filling them that they can't, they, all they can do is speak the wonders of God and the great things He has accomplished. So powerful, the Spirit of life. It's refreshing, it's a refreshing, it's a refreshing, it's a refreshing to live by Him. You and I are going to just not want to miss quiet times with Him. This is one of the marks of really, I think, getting this whole dependency thing. You yearn to get aside from the crowds as Jesus did. You yearn to receive, commune. You yearn to just be in his presence and be loved by him and let that love flow back to him. It's the engine of life of the new covenant of grace. It is the new covenant. It is the greatest commandment to believe that he loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength because he gave his only son. He who spared not his only son, will he not with him freely give us all things? It even says that in the prophets where God's bringing Israel to the promised land and God says, Israel, I will plant you in this land. And he's talking about Christ because the promised land is a picture of Christ. He says to the prophet, he says, I will plant you in this land, Israel, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. He gave us a clue in the prophets of the new covenant that was coming. That's the greatest commandment, to believe that he loves us like that and that he invites us for this refreshing to live by him, the Christ within. No matter what we're going through, it is an invitation to let him be who he is. We can really boast in our weaknesses. I want to read something just real briefly and we'll wrap it up. In, in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, I think I've said this before, but I want to just repeat it here in Luke chapter 9. We, I think we sometimes have this view. Look at, look at chapter 9 and verse, verse 12. Well, let's go to verse 11. Chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 11. But the multitudes were aware of this, and they followed him. And, they, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. He began speaking to them about this other reality, this parallel universe, this place that you can walk on earth where God is your dad, where he is your life, 
where you are as righteous as the Christ, where there is no barrier between you and God, where every weakness and every challenge and every tribulation in this world is an invitation to let him be who he is through us, the kingdom of God. He welcomed them and began speaking to them about this other reality, curing those who had need of healing. And the day began to decline. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and eat and get something to eat. For here we are in a, desert, a desolate place. There's no food here. We're in a desolate place. It's, it's wise to send them away now because it's getting dark and we have no food. Jesus said, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And he said to his disciples, have them recline, have them rest in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. An impossible situation. We don't have the capacity to feed people. We can't help people. All we have is five loaves and two fish. What is that with 5,000 men? Not counting women and children. It's impossible. But he gave, they gave him what they had. They put their lives into his hands. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, looking toward the Father. He blessed the fish, he blessed the loaves, and he broke them. Now this is the key, number six, verse 16, that we don't, we've never really heard taught. This phrase right here. And he kept, kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. He kept giving them the bread and the fish. He kept giving bread and fish for them to set before the multitude. He kept giving to to the disciples to set before the multitude and they all ate and were satisfied and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full left over. What is the Lord saying? It's not like Hollywood depicted it in the movies. He didn't break the bread and fish and put it in empty baskets and they took the baskets out and people started reaching for the baskets and suddenly the fish and the bread multiplied in the baskets. He gave each disciple just enough that they could hold in their hand. They had to go back to him for more and more and more and more. He had 12 men going like this, back and forth. The Christ, as they came back, there was more. As they came back, there was more. It's the dependency, the complete dependency. They do not have the capacity to minister to all these people, to help these people. But if we will go back to him again and again and again, there is no limit to what he will give you to minister to people life such that 12 baskets were full of the fragments that were left over. Not just barely enough, but 12 baskets full. He lavishes his grace upon us. He lavishes his provision upon us. God is not stingy. God is not, oh, don't 
Don't eat too much. We don't have enough. No, 12 baskets full, one for each apostle that they might remember his abundance and his power. But it's because they went back to him and back to him and back to him and back to him and back to him. And imagine the joy. Imagine how much fun that was. I mean, how much fun that was. Here's all these hungry people. And look how God is wisdom in setting them aside in groups of 50. Wisdom of setting aside so it's not like chaos. So they're little groups of 50. Sometimes I wonder if that's God's way of saying, that's the perfect size church, by the way, 50. <laughs> I think there's a clue in there somewhere. But here's, here's like 50 and 50 and 50 and 50. And so they're going back and they're, put it, they're, they're taking bread from the Lord. And imagine all these people that are waiting and they go, oh my gosh, let's see if he has more. And he, has, and they, and he piles up more and they bring more. And they bring him back and they're all satisfied. And 12 baskets left over. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. I want to live where I just... I, I, Live by him. I'll go back to him and lean on him and look to him. I mean, my dad had this, this, uh, this uh, idea, which I think his generation kind of taught. My dad used to say, well, don't, don't ask God for the little things. You know, he expects you to do something yourself. But, you know, yeah, ask God for the big things. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Or the Lord helps those who help themselves. Oh, my gosh. You know, where is that in the Bible? It's actually the Lord helps those who cannot help themselves. You know, but there was a generation there in the, in the 40s and 50s. My dad, growing up in the World War II, you know, in that, that generation where they, you know, they were like self-made men. And they, you know, you, you don't bother God about, you know, a parking space, you know, whatever. You don't bother God about, you know, you know trivial stuff. You pray when, you're, when your son is sick. You pray when your wife is sick. And you need a miracle. But you don't bother God about these. No, God wants you to bother him about everything. In fact, this is what's so cool. This is what's so cool. He, hear it right, hear this right. He needs your fellowship. Not that he needs anything. Don't hear it wrong. He needs your fellowship because he loves you so much. Think about it. Your children that you love so much, you need their fellowship because you want their fellowship. Think about that, saints. He needs you to come because he has pent up love he must give he wants to give you everything he who spared not his only son will he not freely give him give us all things i'm telling you it's not that he needs you know, don't you hear what i'm saying god doesn't need anything really he's totally self-sufficient the Godhead itself is a fellowship that has gone on from ages and ages. But he has desired to bring many sons into that fellowship. He has desired, before time began, to have a family. He wants you to come and me to come. He wants, he can't wait for you to ask him for anything. Isn't that awesome? <sighs> yes. Yes, at the very beginning, created us. You know, we say those words for fellowship with us, but it's, it's so deep, it's so deep, it's so deep. And it goes back to this life of living dependent, totally dependent, and totally, you know, just whatever. Dad, Papa, yeah, give me wisdom here, Papa. Give, Father, show me this. If any man lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask, and God will give, and he won't scold him for asking either, James says. He won't scold him. He, he upbraideth not. He'll give you whatever you need. You need wisdom in a situation? Ask him. He loves to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. 
In his hands, unsearchable riches, bread, loaves, no problem. That's the way I want to live. That's where we're going. The Spirit of God is bringing us to a place of incredible intimacy with Him, incredible dependence with Him, incredible refreshing. No, no, not this man controlling other men stuff, not this uh, religion putting you in guilt and condemnation for their own ends. No, freedom, 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 a liberty where the Spirit of God is. There is liberty. There is God. There's Father. There's, there's hope. There's peace. There's provision. There is union. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is nothing that He will not do for you. Awesome. My sheep know my voice and they will follow me, my sheep, and I know them by name. It's a deep intimacy he's bringing us into of dependence and life and love and rest, refreshing, and manifestation. They actually ate and they were satisfied. It's not just theory. The invisible kingdom is manifested. He delights to bring that which is not into that which is. Lord, thank you so much. We just close this time together, Father. Just thank you for helping us see what you're doing that, oh God, the enemy has really sold us a bill of goods. Lord, help us see the simplicity of this rest, dependence on you to live as Christ. Not just every hour, but every second we live by you. We rest in you. No matter what the trouble, no matter what the challenge, it's opportunity to manifest the glory of God. Oh, teach us your way, Lord. Teach us this way. For you are the true vine. We are the branches. As we simply abide, we bear much fruit. We bear much fruit. And that fruit remains. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray that we would all grow more and more, that grace would multiply, multiply, and that we would have more understanding of our union and our dependence on you, Lord, within. For you have done it through a man's spirit, through a man's resurrected spirit, the Christ, man and God. There's one mediator between man and God. Through a man's resurrected spirit, now the spirit of God can flow through a man's spirit and touch another man's spirit and join itself in himself to man. We in you and you in us only through Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, because it's a man's spirit that has been raised God in the flesh. Behold the wisdom and the mystery of God in Christ. Now our life is hidden with Christ in sight of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord, for multiplying the loaves and the fishes.
Amen.